This is Lee, and you're listening to the FemSouth Podcast. And we're embarking on a six-part series examining the impact of the Dobbs decision in states like Alabama, where I live, that have a near-total ban on abortion. We're looking at this issue through an intersectional lens, knowing that access to abortion isn't a single-issue item. It impacts pregnant people's access to health care, pre- and postnatal care, infant mortality, women's economic and social status. It is intimately connected to sex education and consent, birth control, domestic abuse and violence, mental health, bodily autonomy, and on and on and on. Our aim is to keep this conversation in the public without fear or shame. Welcome to our third episode, where we meet with two local faith leaders to find out what is and isn't being talked about in our local communities on the ground. We're first going to meet Reverend Ginny Phillips Allen, a retired Methodist minister who lives here in Baldwin County, Alabama. I first met Reverend Ginny when she joined our protest here in uh, Fairhope. She was standing on a street corner wearing her clerical collar. It was so powerful to have a member of clergy in our midst, watching the surprised reaction of people walking by. And, and I just had so many questions I wanted to ask her. This episode is our opportunity to do just that. Yeah, and we're also going to be talking with Renee Adcock, who is a minister at the Spiritual Awakening Center 360 which is an affirming and inclusive spiritual community right here in Daphne. So I'm very excited to be talking with Renee. In fact, she's recently joined our book club and and we got the pleasure of spending an evening with her this last month. So I'm so excited to be talking with both Renee and Ginny. And just so you know, the way that we have structured this episode is that we are talking with uh, Ginny first and then Renee second. And so they're two separate interviews. And also just another quick disclaimer that we are talking to two faith leaders, but we never want to put forth just one spiritual belief, or even if you don't have a spiritual belief, uh, we would just want to make sure that we are mindful of people's religious trauma that they may have. Um, I, I'm speaking from personal experience. I have my own religious trauma, so I know that some language can be triggering but again, because this is an issue that is coming from a particular religious point of view, that's the context we're somewhat centering in this particular series. So without further ado, let's get started. Hi, Jenny. I am so excited to have you here on this podcast episode to talk about your experiences with reproductive justice and religion and spirituality living here in the South. Welcome. I'm delighted, just delighted. So, Jenny, to get us started, can you tell our listeners how you came to reproductive justice as a minister? Oh, my. It's been a life process because I grew up in um, ultra-conservative daughter of pastors. Both my parents were ministers. And my daughter, when she was in college, she went through a crisis of belief. And of course, she came home and brought those questions to us. 
And then we had a midlife crisis of belief. And uh, it has been so positive to rethink our beliefs. I really think part of being alive spiritually is growing and rethinking and sorting through and throwing off the chaff and keeping the wheat. And uh, there's a lot of joy that comes with that. So it's it's been a difficult journey, but a very positive journey. Uh, so that's I you know that's my life story. So we don't have that much time. I'm not twenty. So how did you get to the work of reproductive justice, though? So when we first met you, you were standing in the middle of a protest and speaking at a protest wearing your collar. And I think, you know, for us, it was just, it was shocking, but it was also really exciting to see someone who was willing to put themselves out there like that and, and represent and, and speak out vocally for, for reproductive justice. Um, because as a pastor, I have dealt with women who have had pregnancies that were unwanted, women that had all the situations that uh, catalyzes a woman moving towards ending a pregnancy. And I've seen firsthand women whose fathers drove them to get an abortion because he didn't want to raise another child, another grandchild of theirs because he was already raising one, and he didn't want to raise another one. So he coerced the abortion, paid for it, drove her there, and she was at my house that afternoon sobbing. And I had to serve him communion at the communion rail the next day, which was really difficult for me and trying to grapple with grace for everybody, everybody. And uh, we all needed. And I, I went to the march, Because there were so many marches politically that I regretted I did not go to. I wasn't even aware of some of them that I wish I had been at. But um, it just seemed like the right thing to do. And so I went. And it was, I mean, that was a first for me. Being Standing in the middle of the intersection in Fairhope, Alabama, when this area is where I met my husband, married, had my kids, raised my kids in Baldwin County. Yeah, this is home. So I'm putting my face out there in a clerical collar and my clergy stole out in the middle of the street. And there was a man in the street who screamed at me, you're going to hell. And dealing with that of, you know, we're just all so broken and trying to find our way. And somebody told him that's the way to believe. And he didn't really think it through. And that what he was showing me was not really love and grace. So I was going to try to show that to him. It's just such a constant struggle of reevaluating what is faith really. It's not rules. It's about kindness and love and caring about people. And that's what took me to the protest. And it was such an exhilarating experience for me. I mean, one young girl in her 20s said, I snuck out of the house because my parents would kill me if I were here. And another one fell in my arms and said, my church in Baldwin County rejected me when I came out as gay. And I just, I, I said, I just want to apologize for the whole church. I am so sorry you went through this because nobody should go through that. So it's it's been a culmination, you know, life's a journey, and what I believe today is not what I believed even five years ago. And that day in Mobile on the, uh, on the steps of the government building, when 
a megaphone was shoved in front of me and said, you're a pastor, you talk. And I was like, oh my gosh. And the, the scripture Paul said about always be ready to speak and God will give you the words. And I thought, okay. And then there it was, you know, and I had a really special group of people there. So I felt privileged. And they applauded when I said, the God that I serve is a God of love. And, you know, nobody ever clapped for me in church during a sermon, so that was pretty good. <laughs> and I wasn't doing it for the affirmation, but it just, it was right. It was right. Yeah, and, you know, there's so many directions we could go from just what you said. One of those is the, the pastoral responsibility, because you said it was through the experiences and the relationships that you built as a pastor dealing with life decisions, your congregants' life right. decisions. It was the real experiences yes. of these people that led yes. you, right? Exactly. Can you talk a little bit more about what you think is the role the pastor should be taking? It's interesting because when I'm out in public and someone finds out I'm a retired pastor, and even before I retired, it's like I have this neon light on my forehead that says, tell me anything. And I think I've heard it all, but... <laughs> um, I, I am a compassionate person. I really do care about people. And uh, everybody I meet is hurting in some way. And I think pastors have a high calling if people are going to trust them with their feelings. And you can't take that lightly. And you can't just hand out rules and guilt. And it's so much, well, God's so much more than that. You know, God never used guilt to get people to come to him. I think about the prodigal son in Luke 15 and how, I know this is just a story Jesus made up, but I mean, this is a good storyteller. But Jesus talks about how the prodigal son's father had his robes pulled up between his legs, searching the horizon, looking for his son to come home. He wasn't thinking about, you insulted me, you just wanted my money. Uh, he, he wasn't fault-finding. He wanted the relationship. And for me, one of the best things I've really grabbed hold of as a pastor is that relationships are always more important than being right. Sometimes you may know you're right, but if it's ruining the relationship, what good is being right if you've ruined a relationship with somebody you love? That's, that's just so primary. I know the basis of my belief is God is love. That's it in a nutshell. I knew that before I was four years old. God is love. Now, trying to get my head around that so that it truly incorporates my values, my standards, my actions, uh, the way I live, that's a whole nother package. But that's what being on the planet and being a human being is about, is trying to learn how to be a person of love and kindness and making the world a better place. That's who I want to be. That's what appeals to me about ministry, but it's so great, even in retirement, when people find out I'm a minister, they edit their vocabulary. They cut out words that they normally use in everyday conversation. Doesn't bother me. Doesn't have to be my choice. Choice is so important to me because, to me, it's the bottom line of how God treats us. Now, if I were God, thank God I'm not, 
But if I were God, I would say, okay, this is what's best for you, and this is what you need to do, because this is going to give you the best possible life, and that's what I want for you. That's kind of how I parented, and I've kind of had to back off from that, because that's not how God parents us. I was talking about the prodigal father. He had his arms open, running to meet his son, and he didn't ask for any apologies. He didn't ask for uh, any kind of contract. I'll never do this again, or I don't care about my inheritance. He just loved that boy. His son came home. And one of my favorite parts of that scripture is he came to his senses, and he came home. And I think people are longing for a place in the church where they feel safe and they know they can call on that mother nature of God, the Holy Spirit, that's the comforter, and fall into those arms and say, I just want to come home. Mm -hmm. And that's transformational. That is transformational. This is what people are longing for. People are mean to each other in this world, and we misunderstand each other, and we do stupid things, and I'm on that list too. And we just need to be loved. And I love it that God gives us a choice. And I also want to put in a disclaimer that what I mean by faith is the journey of choosing deliberately what fits your values and decisions you've made in good conscience and that you live out in your actions. That is your faith. Whether you call yourself an atheist or an agnostic or an unfaith person, that is a form of faith because you have shaped your beliefs, your actions, your values on a choice. And if God allows us a choice about the most important decision in the eternity of our life, then can't we allow other people to make a choice different from our own? I mean, I don't believe exactly the same thing my husband does. We're, we're more in sync than most people I know, but we allow each other the space to think differently, and we still have dialogue about it, but we still show love towards each other and respect. And I think we need more love, honoring, and respect and allowing women to choose what is best for them in their life, in their situation. And that, to me, is basic honoring and respect and love and grace. These are things that we say are godly things. Why aren't we showing these things to other people? That's a really great question. Um, I think it's interesting that when you look at the stats, we see that 55% of Alabamians think that abortion should remain legal. And so it seems like it's really the majority opinion. But I wonder when you're talking about being able to have this responsibility as a pastor in your congregation, do you feel like that's something that is an open responsibility that you can talk about? Well, because I'm not in a congregation anymore as a retired person, I've got a lot more freedom. There's some things I am not allowed to do as a United Methodist ordained minister. But anytime a person comes to me and asks me, what do you believe about this? I'm going to tell them, and I'm going to tell them why. You know, I I really have issues with people that say 
they believe in abortion. Uh, they don't believe in abortion because they believe the whole Bible. And I would ask, do you agree with Jesus' stance on divorce? Do you value life to the point that you know that the Bible says you can't carelessly spill your sperm because life is in that sperm? Are you aware, aware that there are laws, dietary laws in the Bible about not eating shellfish or pork or even touching pork? Well, there goes football. Not touching a dead body, avoiding clothing blends. I remember one Sunday I preached on this, and I had to look at the label in my outfit to be sure I wasn't wearing a blend. And guess what? I you could be stoned to death. I could be stoned to death. Sexual purity. People talk about believing the Bible about sexual purity, but do we ref- refrain from sex with anyone except our spouse within marriage? And not before marriage, and not after divorce, because that's what it says. So, if we're going to talk about biblical truth, let's really talk about biblical truth, because all of these things are discussed in Scripture, and we're not following all of these things. So, you can't pick and choose and say that you are being a biblical Christian. You know, just because you have on a rhinestone pen that says Jesus doesn't mean Jesus is who you're living your life for. And it's back to, are you loving? Are you kind? Are you compassionate? Do you stop what you're doing to take time for someone else? Or is your time more important? How do you live your life? And are your arms open to welcome Anyone that's running home. It doesn't have to be a preacher. It should be every person on the planet. We need each other. We need to help each other think things through. We've all grown up on our own little path, in our own little world, in our own little bubble. It's part of the reason traveling outside the country is important. Do you know that I know people in Baldwin County who have never left Baldwin County? Do you know I knew children in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, who had never seen the Mississippi River? I mean, our world's too small. We're not supposed to just eke by. We're supposed to really love each other passionately and be there for each other. COVID showed us how important it is to be in community. Is there anything in the Bible that you have read that says, You're not allowed to have an abortion. People come to pastors wanting a pat answer. They don't want to go to Scripture themselves and study it out. They want the pastor to do that work for them and give them an answer. And part of the reason is because there's so many nuances in Scripture and things that Like the thing about don't eat shellfish. I mean, if any of us believed that, the whole Alabama seafood market would go under. So we don't really follow all those rules. But I want to go back to the positive side of what Jesus said. I have come that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. More abundantly is what it says. And that, to me, encompasses not bringing a child into a world of poverty. To me, personally, it means not having a baby in Alabama 
because it's one of the most dangerous places to have a child, only superseded by Mississippi. Now, I'm not going to tell people not to have a child in Alabama. I had both my children in Alabama, in Mobile. But if we bring children into a world where they can't be nourished, to not bring a child into a place where they experience life abundantly, have we done them any favor? Life is not just breathing. And, you know, every faith has a different opinion about when life starts. Is it at when the sperm and the egg join? Is it when there's a heartbeat? Is it when there's a breath? There's not agreement on that. So we have to allow each other to come to our own decisions. And are we secure enough in who God is, guiding us into His truth, her truth, guiding us into God's empirical truth, that we can live with, everybody doesn't have to agree with us, and that it's not about us being right, but it's about us all being on a journey and being in this together. There's more emphasis in the Bible on community and living in community than there is on individual decisions. The thing about being born again, that was that was poetic language Jesus used. He could have said, be a grape, and we'd have all these preachers on TV talking about being a grape. But he used poetic language about being born again to help Nicodemus understand, you've got to change. It's a bottom line. If your faith is alive, it's going to change. And mine has. <laughs> and I don't think it's finished. I, I, I have learned that it's the change that makes me feel so alive because I become better. The truth resonates with me, not only in my mind, but in my spirit. And I am more alive because I'm living into this new way of thinking. And each time someone introduces me to a new thought, yeah, I'm going to stop and think about it. I'm not just a yes person, much to many people's chagrin, but I've always been a person that asks lots of questions, and I want to know. And the truth is important. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth. So if we're seeking the truth, I think we're on the right path. And God said, God is love. So if we're seeking love, I think we're on the right path. And I need to, I think we really need to lay aside, you don't believe what I believe. You don't believe like I believe. So you can't be serving the same God I am. And yet, I wish we put more emphasis on you are a creation on this earth. We're sharing this space together. Let's help each other. Let's be there for each other. Let's be passionate about making this world a better place. Gosh, our poor children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and I can't even think past that. We had off-the-chart records this year on heat on this planet. Are we not concerned about that? I, I, just, I just really think we need to reevaluate what's important. Mm -hmm. And to me, I want to be a person that someone that's been hurt can fall in my arms and know they're safe. If you want to call that home, 
To me, that's home. I've missed my mother's arms this week. I dealt with something difficult that had been going on for a while. My, I was emotionally exhausted thinking about it, trying to look at all the different options. And I just wished I could fall on my mother's big chest and nestle into her neck. I can't. I think that's a beautiful metaphor for what a faith leader's role is in the church. I think when they, when they don't offer that to people because they're afraid to speak about reproductive rights or if somebody comes to them and they think their only job is to dissuade them, mm-hmm. then they're missing what you're saying. They're missing that opportunity. They're not providing the way that you just described it to me really encapsulates what a faith leader's job is. It's to love the people. My daddy was a pastor, and he said the most important thing people in your congregation need to know is that you love them. It's so basic, and yet it's so hard. It is hard. And one of the things that bothered me, that really hurt my heart that day at the March in Fairhope and on the uh, downtown on the steps of the government building, was the people that came up to me and said, where's your church? We want to come to your church. Are there, I'm not, this is a tragedy. People should have pastors where they can talk about abortion and gay rights and the whole smattering of all of our cultural issues. You know, Jesus was political. He talked about Caesar. He talked about taxes. Give to Caesar what's Caesar and to God what's God. I mean, he addressed it. He didn't say, oh, we shouldn't be talking about this. This might cause conflict. Or people might quit giving their money. Or they might go to another church. Forget it. This is about being open-armed to be a person where people can come home. And apparently, there's not enough of that out there. And I'm retired (laughs) And that was my answer to the people that day. But uh, but I just want to say, if anybody wants to reach out to me that just needs some arms to fall on, Mm -hmm. they can call me or email me. Well, I think also you could provide, um, as many of our other guests have, a role model, a roadmap for people who are not retired, who are in their Mm -hmm. congregations, you know, be a mentor for them on how to have these conversations with people, how to be open, how to to perform this role, not in fear, not in judgment, not worried that you're going to lose your job, which I'm sure probably is a real fear that people yes, have. and lose your retirement. I mean, there's some things I can't do because I would lose my retirement even now. And that is so sad and so unfortunate. And then that's a whole nother conversation <laughs> about <laughs> the institution. Yes. Right, because we're talking about local congregations we had you on the show because we wanted it to feel local we wanted to talk to the people in our community but there is this broader institution there's seminary i mean when you go to seminary are you being taught how to have these conversations are they patriarchal this isn't just a conversation about what our local congregants can say and can and cannot do This is a conversation, I think, about the broader institutions that are setting the rules and the parameters, right? I have been in denominations where there was no structure and where there was well-established structure. And it is a safety net, 
but it's like all of our systems. They're broken, and they're places that need to be mended. But I appreciate that you're here saying what you're saying and giving us a place to have a voice to say the, have these important conversations. Well, so th- unfortunately, that's all the time that we have with you. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about this issue. Anytime. And I hope that people will reach out and connect with you. Right. And how can they find you again? Rev Jenny, R-E-V-G-I-N-N-Y. Don't spell it with the J or it won't go through. R-E-V-G-I-N-N-Y at gmail.com. All right. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Hello, this is Meta with the FemSouth podcast. I am here with Lee. And next up, we are going to be speaking with Renee Atcock, who is a minister at the Spiritual Awakening Center here in Baldwin County. Welcome, Renee. We are so happy to have you with us here today. Well, thank you. I'm really excited to be here. So you just became an ordained minister in March of this year. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, ma'am. I received my Master's um, of Divinity in March of this year, and at that point became ordained through Wisdom of the Heart Church, um, which is out of California, um, the University of Metaphysical Science, and they work with that school and ordain the, their students. So I'm not really tied to that church, but that's where my ordination came from. So since you became an ordained minister, how have you used your ministry? Well, um, I started a church here in Daphne. It's it's actually the Spiritual Awakening Center 360 here in Daphne. We call it a church because that's what is called down here in the South is church, um, but it's actually a spiritual center, and it's a spiritual community that welcomes all people. So, And I started that with a whole group of people in November and um, have since, some have, some have gone and some have come, so they're it's been in and out, but um, I've been kind of a strong presence there. <laughs> I haven't gone anywhere, so you know, um, and that's where that's when I started to channel what I was learning. Um, so, so your church started in November, uh, a couple of months after the overturn of Roe. Was this uh, something that was discussed in your in your church at all? Well, actually, no. I mean, uh, it it wasn't something we discussed. I, you know, I did go to. Um, the march, one of the marches that was held in in um, Mobile, and uh, enjoyed that a lot. Being you know, being able to stand up and speak about it, but but since then, it's really not been something that we've we've discussed. And I realized that that's probably you know something that I need to bring up. So going back to you recently graduating from your program. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about your program? Did you get any training on reproductive justice, how to have conversations, how to support women in this area? No, actually, we, we did, they did not. I mean, that's not even something that was brought up in, the, in, in our school. So I, I don't know if it, it has been added since, you know, because of, of it becoming such a big topic. But it was never something that was mentioned. But you know, as far as supporting women, you know, that's my that's my role. You know, as a minister, I'm out here to support 
people in their in their decisions, whether whatever their decisions may be, and I'm there to stand with them in those decisions and and understand that they're making the right, very right decision for themselves. Can you maybe talk a little bit about what your religious beliefs are around reproductive justice? Well, my beliefs, my religious beliefs are, and I don't really know if I want to call them religious beliefs. This is, you know, this is my philosophy on life. What what I believe is that that abortion rights and reproductive rights are health care that should be talked about between a woman, her partner, her doctor, and her God, what she believes. That is not something that the, that politics needs to be involved in. It's not something that church needs to be involved in. That's nobody's business. One of my biggest things when I do get into a conversation about anything, about LGBTQ rights, about um, abortion rights, anything, any of those is mind your business. <laughs> my, mind your business. It's not my business what you do with your body. It's not my business to tell you that you have to believe a certain way. So, but my beliefs are that it, it's not even it, it's not even a part of of religion. It's not it it doesn't belong there. Have you encountered a lot of anti choice um, sentiments from other religions here in uh, this area? Well, you know, I really haven't had a conversation with other clergy except for Jenny. So when I you know when I talk to Jenny, of course, she and I are pretty much on the same wavelength as far as that goes and that's now face-to-face conversations I should say of course you know there's always somebody on Facebook that's going to push back on something you've posted or something you've written and my go-to as I said is mind your business it's not your business you don't have any say so in what other people believe and then they go on to talk about well you know the bible the bible and well the bible's not relevant to a lot of people and for you to say you must believe what's written in this book and those people, that book is not relevant to them, then um, there's a lot of amazing stuff in the Bible, you know, but it is a book. It's a book. It's a book written by man to guide men. And, and, and actually in the Bible, there's no reference to abortion. They don't talk about abortion. That, that word is nowhere in the Bible. And like I said, if you're using that book to try to guide somebody else to do what you think they ought to do, you've got to look at whether or not that Bible even means anything to them. You know, if you want to use the Bible, we can use the Bible, you know, but it's not, you know, it's not a thing for a lot of people in this world. It's not a thing. I really love that point, And I'm glad that you brought it up. Uh, we haven't really made that point yet because we've really been talking to mostly people among the Christian faith. Um, but that's a really important thing to say because yes, so many people, the Bible isn't relevant. And so how are we dictating an entire society and culture based on one religion in one book? And I think that's an important point to make. But then knowing though, that a lot of this movement is coming out of the Christian right. Mm -hmm. Is there even a way to really counter their arguments within their own contextual framework? Well, if they begin to look back in the history of the of churches themselves, abortion was not even 
an issue until like the 70s when the churches decided they needed to make something an issue. And that was an easy issue to make because of where women were, how people thought of women. Um, it would, that was an easy thing to come and attack because women didn't have those kind of rights. I mean, it's just, I think it was the 70s when women were actually even able to have checking accounts and credit cards, you know, or were able to buy anything on their own. Uh, um, I went to the doctor when I was in my 30s to have my, to have my tubes tied. And they asked me questions about where my husband was and what, what kind of permission I had from to get my, to do something with my own body. So abortion was an easy thing to come after. Was real easy. And they could pull a lot of people to their way just by, just because, just by virtue of where women stood in society at that time. So. That's my, that's my opinion. My two cents on that. <laughs> well, I mean, you actually, how old are you? You lived through one of the first iterations of getting this right. You lived through Roe, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What is it like for you now to be having to fight this fight again? Right. I have two daughters. I have a granddaughter. And people are always asking me, well, what does it matter to you? You're not planning on having an abortion. But it does matter to me. It matters to me that I, I have a daughter, I have a young daughter who had a miscarriage and had to fight to have a DNC after a miscarriage. Had to fight to have mm -hmm. her insurance pay for it. Was this after the abortion ban? Mm -hmm. And so, so you know, that, that, that it affects me because it affects my children. To me, it was devastating to lose a right you know that we're the only people, women are the only people in this country who has ever lost a right. You know, they give the rights to you and they don't ever, they don't take them away. Women are the only ones they've taken them away from. And that's devastating to me. That's not right. That's not right for the millennials, the Gen Zers. You know, it's just not right. So do you believe that the congregations that you work with don't really share your view on abortion or how, how do you navigate that? Well, you know, the churches that we align ourselves with are the New Thought Faith. And I don't know if you know much about the New Thought Faith. It's the Unity Churches and the Centers for Spiritual Living and that kind of thing. They're very much have the same ideas I have. So the people in my congregation or, or the people that are, are, that will probably, you know, be comfortable in my congregation are people that would, would enjoy these freedoms, that would accept these freedoms. Do you see that as a growing uh, religious movement, if you will, here in the South? I would like it to be, but I think there are so many people who don't know what New Thought is. New Thought doesn't, um, we don't do hellfire and brimstone. We don't, nobody's, nobody's going to go to hell, you know. I mean, if you think about it, nobody ever went to hell. If, I mean, how many funerals have you ever been to where they said, that person went to hell? <laughs> <laughs> you know, they always say that person's in a better place. Yeah, true. <laughs> you know, they don't say, well, that person was a horrible um, human being no. and they're in hell now. You know, that is a really good point. So, you know, um, but we don't, we don't do hell. We don't do heaven. It's not, that's not a thing. <laughs> and so I find that. The churches that rely on hell and heaven seem to draw more people. And those people stay there for some reason. They enjoy that kind of fear mongering. So do you think that whole heaven or hell thing is tied into abortion as well? 
Yeah, I mean, they absolutely. They, you know, they think they, you know, they've been told. It doesn't say this anywhere in their scripture, but they've been told from the pulpit that those things will send you to hell, and that's not that's not a thing. The God that I believe in loves everybody, loves everybody just like I love my children. And there's nothing that my children could ever do that would make me to want them to burn for all eternity and like a fire. Nothing. My children could commit murder and I would visit them faithfully every Sunday <laughs> in prison. You know, I mean, there's nothing. And so for them to say, if you do this, this, and this, the God that is supposed to love us unconditionally is going to send you to hell to burn for all eternity. I mean, really? So what is your advice for people that don't really believe in the whole hellfire and brimstone and really want to, you know, ask questions about reproductive rights within within their church settings? Um, do you have any advice for how what they should do? One of my favorite things is Ruth Bader Ginsburg says, speak your mind, even if your voice shakes. Speak your mind. Speak your truth. You cannot hold in things your whole life because that stuff eats at you. So you have to, you have to speak your truth. That's, that's what I tell people. Speak what you believe. If, if it ostracizes you, well, then that wasn't the place for you to be in the first place. There, there are so many other options out there and where they will be loved and cared for regardless of what their thought processes are. So we have asked this question of many of our guests already about the patriarchal language, the androcentric language that I think is frames a lot of uh, modern churches right now, but certainly the Christian lens. So how do you see that playing a role in where we are right now with reproductive rights? And do you try to offset that in your congregation? Well, I'm a female minister. So, yeah, I'm offsetting that patriarchal lens um, just just by virtue of being here, you know. So, yeah, I mean, I, I offset that a lot, you know. And does it play a role? Absolutely. This whole patriarchal society plays a role. They're scared. There's more of us than there are of them. They're scared. And they can't do this world without us. They can't have new babies. They can't do any of that without us. That's why they're putting these abortion things in because they want babies, you know, and they're afraid women are going to say, mm, sorry, you don't want any more babies. But they think that, oh, well, we'll just make abortion illegal. Well, that is clear that that doesn't work. That doesn't work. Women are going to have abortions. And I'm here to tell you that if you need to go someplace to have an abortion, call me. I'll put gas in my car. We'll go. You know, <laughs> we'll go. Um, it is not a decision to be made by somebody else. It's not a decision to be made. That is completely up to the woman and her family and her doctor and whoever else she wants to go to for advice. You know, if they come to me for advice, I'm going to say, what is it that you want to do? So we like to ask a question of hope in these uh, podcast episodes, trying to, 
you know, hear from our uh, podcast guests where they see hope in in this situation with Roe being overturned that we find ourselves in today in a, you know, in a situation that very often can seem like it's it's never going to change and, you know, it can, can be a very downcast and depressing um, kind of um, kind of situation. Can you can you share with us where you see, see glimmers of hope? The new generations coming, the Gen Z, they're amazing. And people are always like, wow, those kids, you know, watch those kids don't even know what they're doing. They're lazy. They don't they don't even they can't even talk to people and that kind of stuff. They are amazing. They are amazing. They are so in tune. And I think that they're going to bring us a female president. They're going to bring us a a Supreme Court that is more diverse. They are our future, and we need to watch them. And watch the politicians. Watch what the politicians are doing because they're scared. They're scared of that generation. And, and right now, the rights that are being taken away, all of that stuff, the, you know, trying to, trying to change the voting age, it's making them angry. It's making them very angry and being shot up in school. I mean, it's making them angry. You know, um, I can't even imagine having to go to school with the thought that I may not come home today. And so that, that brings me hope that the future is going to have these these young people in it. Yeah, the hope is a future. I I really like that. I, I see that in my own daughter. She was a she was a high school senior when uh, when Roe fell, and she wanted to come out and join us for the protest that we had here in uh, in Fairhope. And we had so many other young people come up to us and say, you know, we're so happy you are here. Where can we find out more? Our our parents would absolutely kill us if they knew that we were here. But this is so important, and we're so happy to see. Uh, this voice here, here in the Deep South, uh, we see it too when we, you know, when we man tables at festivals, uh, at Earth Day, at First Friday, people come up and say, we had no idea a group like, like you uh, were here in Baldwin County. And that's just, that's just incredibly encouraging. Yes, and I think that's a great place for us to stop our program. Unfortunately, we do have to end. Um, so Renee, how can people find you? How can people find your Spiritual Awakening Center? Um, we're Spiritual Awakening Center 360. We meet on Sunday mornings at 1030. Um, the, it's at 25369 US 98 in Daphne. We're right next door to Badcock Furniture. The phone number there is 251-289-1038. And they will get me on the phone when they call. Um, please call if you want any information. You want to know more about what we do. Um, we also meet on Wednesday nights at Summer Moon Coffee for just an all-out, just spiritual conversations. So any religion, any faith, bring it. We're not there to change you. We're not there to change your mind. We just want to know who you are. You also record yours online. You have a Facebook page, Absolutely. right? Mm-hmm. What's the name of your Facebook page? Spiritual Awakening Center 360. Okay, so people can't come physically to your location. They can also watch you online. Yes, yes. Yes. And we're more than happy to have people online as well. So great. Well, I hope more people come and join you. And I'm just so glad that you're here in our community. Thank you so much. Thank you. This has been fun. Yeah. Thank you so much, Renee, for being on the podcast. You've been listening to the Fem South podcast. 
and our six-part series on the impact of the Dobbs decision in Alabama, produced by FEMS ACT, an activist wing of FEMS South. FEMS South is an intersectional book club, community, and podcast, and now activist team, dedicated to demystifying the feminist movement and amplifying Southern women's voices. Our mission is to educate, integrate, and activate. If you would like to learn more about Fem South, you can follow us on Instagram. You can head over to our link tree and find all the different ways in which you can join our mission and participate. You can also ask to join our private Facebook book club group, where we talk about the books that we're reading and provide information about the events that we're sponsoring. As we continue to talk about the important impact of the overturn of Roe, it is important for us to say that we are not here to help anyone in accessing an abortion, and we do not offer any abortion services. If you would like to learn more information, though, you can head over to our link tree on Instagram. So follow us on Instagram at FemSouth. Click on our link tree where you can access our full and comprehensive list of reproductive justice information. You can also find out more information about us by going to FemSouth.com. You can reach out to us at FemSouth at gmail.com. And you can support us at Patreon.com at FemSouth or FemSouth on Venmo or PayPal. Thank you for joining us, and until next time, you're listening to Them South.